You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. Today, my guest is Mr. Adam Craniotis. He is the founder of the Red Bar Group. Red Bar is, I guess you could call it a bit of a social club, which began in the Manhattan area and has since uh, grown to have chapters all over the world. Adam is, in his own right, uh, a watch media personality, a little bit different than myself at a blog to watch, but um, we definitely approach things from the similar type of perspective. And we were just chatting before this that we miss socializing. So, when did I see you? It's been a little bit over a year now. Scott, you know, I'm trying to remember when the last time was we hung out. And it's that, de- well, look, no matter what, we know it's been over a year. Um, I can't believe it's been this long. Uh, like we were talking about before, you know, so much of this industry, even on the professional side, is based on socializing. Right. And I feel like we're losing something in this process, but I know that everybody just can't wait. We're all just looking for the signs, you know, like it's springtime now. We're looking for, you know, the new bloom or something to show us that we're getting there, that we're getting back to where we were. We're both extremely eager for the pandemic to subside because the social part of being a watch hobbyist is really what allowed our businesses to thrive in its own respect. Mine, you know, it's more about reading content online, but, you know, Adam, you really innovated in the sort of the, the the watch get together. Let's talk a little bit about that, just sort of for people that aren't really familiar. Because I think what I'm trying to do with the Superlative Podcast, which has been successful so far, is try to cast a, a, a wider net to people that aren't just your sort of traditional watch collectors and things like that, and to people who are like people are really into watch collecting. What's up with that? And sort of focus on the personalities that make the industry what it is. And you you are one of those personalities. So let's talk a little bit about sort of the nuts and bolts of these, these things that you're, you're well known for. Adam is a very good event host. And what Adam and I share in common is we have, we have sort of a, a quasi friendship with the community as opposed to having a, a sales relationship or a manufacturer's relationship. We have a friend relationship, which is super crucial, especially in today's world of quote unquote, I know we don't like the term influencers, but we are a rare commodity, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, you know, I, I started strictly as a, as a hobbyist. That was something we talked about before too, that the term collector is starting uh, to become a little bit uh, convoluted, a little bit confused. Um, it's like so organic, I, right? You're like, that yeah, could mean anything. could mean anything at this point. Um, but, you know, for me, this, this was a hobby. This has been a, a passion of mine since I was a child. And when I started Red Bar, to be honest, I didn't actually realize that I had started Red Bar. It was just me and another friend of mine, Dr. Jeffrey Jacques, uh, who met. Actually, it was a, it was a lunch with uh, Michael Kobold. So this is, you know, Kobold watches. So this is going way back. Who himself, if you're out there, don't do any research on Michael Kobold. Just think that it was a, he had a time of making watches and when things were good, just don't Google the guy. Yeah, Anyways, things, things have gotten a little weird there. Uh, yeah. I have to say that, you know, as somebody who, you know, is a friend of mine and, and honestly has a very large role to play in terms of how Red Bar got started, uh, all I can do is just, you know, root for him. But yes, if, if you do the research, <laughs> you know, it can, get, it can get a little strange. But uh, but we met at this lunch, and this was probably back in 2006. Uh, we hit it off, um, and then we just decided, you know, hey, you're cool, I'm cool. How about we meet like once a month and just talk about the shared passion of ours? Because it was something we didn't really get to do beyond, you know, the forums and being online. So that's what we did. It turns out we worked like three blocks away from each other. And uh, we found a bar, which was called Red Bar. That's where the name comes from. And and we did it once a month. And then it was pretty soon once every two weeks. You know, then there are three of us, then there are five of us, then there are 10 of us. Now it's, you know, and that's how it was a snowball. But it was completely organic. There's that word. And so there wasn't an intention to make this into anything more than it was. But what, what, what was it? You said there was no intention to make it more than it was, but what was it? It was a handful of guys uh, just hanging out and talking about watches. And, and people have asked me, you know, 
I want to do this, you know, myself, you know, but I'm into knitting. Okay, no one's ever said that to me, but people in other hobbies have sort of said, you know, I want to do the same thing. How do I do it? And I go, there's no, there's no art to it. You just find some like-minded individuals and you hang out and you talk about what you love. And so that's kind of what we did. Um, there was no uh, initiation. There was, there were, there were no uh, rules and regulations. It was, you had to like watches and don't be an asshole. That okay, so it. let me give, let me give some context because again, I, I think it's context is so important because it can be a little bit almost ambiguous as to sort of what the big deal was. Like, okay, there's events where people get together to talk about something they like, but you have to recognize there had been events about watches for a long, long time. The problem is most of them are not fun. And <laughs> also true. Yeah, it, it's like you think okay, you put a bunch of people that like watches in a room and watches. And, you know, food and drink, and that's, like, supposed to be good chemistry, right? No, no, it becomes very weird. Um, It's sort of like a lot of guys can't handle, they think they need a peacock. So you have this weird type of guy who's not comfortable with himself and think he needs to show off. That's always a weird character. There's Without a host, um, you know, Adam is a human-like sort of, like, icebreaker. You know, he... You, you make jokes. You, you sort of laugh about yourself. Everyone always knows that having uh, sort of a, a de- self-deprecating sense of humor puts people at ease. You're very disarming. I, I think that part of the lesson was is that the core process of having a watch get together uh, is 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 it is a is a sort of standoffish experience. That without that disarming factor, it's weird. Do, do you agree? I do agree, and I had been to um, a few events uh, prior. You know, to to me and Doctor Jeff, Doctor J, as I call him. Uh, what were they like? Well, it, it's kind of what you're describing. Now, these, but here's the thing: these were events that were planned in advance, and you know, maybe you a couple of them you bought tickets for. Uh, so you know, you had to sign up, and then kind of had to be secretive about where are we going to meet, you know, and and so and so is going to be there, and so and so is going to be there, and so it was sort of this event that you're going to. You don't really know anybody. But you know you're going to see some watches. You hope you're going to meet some cool people. And that peacocking thing you're talking about, you know, I'm I'm guilty of that too in situations that you pull I out the feathers, the the, the fancy you know feathers. What? I, yeah, I fluff myself up. You know, I I don't know who these people are, and I don't know. I, I want to be someone that that seems cooler than he is, or what have you. And and so so it's not the same thing. And I think what the difference was is that this was casual. This was not scripted. We didn't have a special guest. We didn't, you know, you were just showing up and, and who, whatever you brought, you could bring the watch on your wrist. Some guys would bring a whole watch box or maybe three watches. You didn't know what you were going to get. Part of it is this sort of idea that the event was for the collectors or, or for the hobbyists by the hobbyists, whereas most yeah. of the other events are, you know, pretty much by the by the brands or by a retailer. So right, people, yeah. We weren't it's selling like, you something. You know, it's kind of like going to a Tupperware party. You have to be respectful and kind of like pay pay respect to the to the host. And then maybe in the corner somewhere, you're like, hey, let's have a human conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, with the watch brands, you're at someone else's party. Mm-hmm. When it's just the hobbyists, you're at your own party. That's, you know, and that to me, that was the distinction. I, I Looking back on it. I don't think I understood it at the time. It was just, honestly, selfishly, I wanted this. You know, I, I was a, a new father, um, you know, full-time job. And so this was one night a week, you know, one night out of, you know, every two weeks. And then it turned into a weekly thing, though, that, where my wife kind of understood, all right, you know, you get this. You know, you're, So you how long did out. this go on before it became a business proposition. You were meeting, you know, It wasn't informally. until 2015. So we, we really started, I think we hit our stride, I would say around 2007. You know, we were meeting regularly. Uh, we'd caught the attention of a couple of brands. And, you know, I had to preface this by saying that uh, around this time, I was also a moderator on timezone.com, uh, which was another uh, website forum. Uh, so I started to get to know people uh, in the industry and on the professional so, side. What, what, so ex- again, explain mm-hmm. to people because I know exactly what that is. But okay. explain what what a moderator is. What the were you moderating well, yeah. for a specific area? Like yes. what does that mean? So so Time Zone was uh, it was and is um, uh, a forum, an online forum for watch collectors where you can log in, 
become a member, and then you can have conversations online and you know post about watches. As long as you photos. follow the rules. Well, and that was, and you have to follow <laughs> rules. So you have moderators that are there to make sure that you know things. You, you were basically like an internet version of Judge Dread. That's pretty much it, actually, yeah. because you, you yeah. did kind of have the the judge, rules. jury, and executioner. So I had started out. Uh, they had asked me to moderate the IWC forum. And I was a big IWC fan. I still am. And so I figured, okay, you know, I'd been a member of this forum for a while and uh, a member of Time Zone. So I started doing that. And then eventually I uh, became a global moderator so that I, you know, had moderating powers over the entire My gosh. site. So if you saw. I mean, you power know, like that can make a man crazy. Um, to tell you, uh, I, I got a little drunk with power. I think I, uh, you know, I nuked a couple of people, you know, just perma band, and I actually did not. I was, I was a very, very benevolent. But you could see moderator. the allure, right? You could see how well, the I, darkness I was there it. within your reach. Yep. Oh no! Well, hey, look, you're you're talking to somebody who has been perma banned from uh, the Rolex forum. Ouch! And I don't even know what I did, but apparently that's the, the thing. The guy you know, that like, banned me was one of those people who uh, just is like, cast him out. Do you know that one of the very first articles I ever wrote was about time zone banning back in 2007? They were pretty, you know, they were pretty strict. And so I I tried to, you know, give people warnings and kind of pull them aside and say, hey, man, you know, I think you're bringing value here. Let's tone it back because once it gets out of my hands, somebody's going to get you. Okay, okay. well, let's back up here because I think this is so interesting. Now, by 2021 standards, and we're talking about a moderator removing content on mm-hmm. a forum, you're thinking, oh, they're going to say like hate speech and political stuff, da 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 da, because that would be the that would be the today version of it. But back then, you're not talking about the the modern version of trolling. This is something that by today's standards is just normal conversation online about watches. Talk talk about some of the things that were that you know you would would get your post <laughs> at least deleted. Uh, you know, first of all, just insulting anybody. You know, the whole point was that you know we're watch collectors, we're we're people of means, of breeding, uh, and hey, <laughs> we have, we do not we do not demean ourselves. You know, with with, with such we are all that. equally higher than the rest of humankind. Correct? <laughs> exactly. You know, there was a certain measure of decorum that had to be kept, and so if you started posting in a certain way and that caught a moderator's eye, that that could be problematic. Uh, there. Uh, Linking to other sites, they were very territorial. So you didn't it, want to talk about going to watch you see anywhere or, else. That's so yeah. weird. Well, they wanted to keep it in there. Um, uh, what else was there? Selling, you know, that there's a specific place to sell. And this I actually do agree with. Uh, you don't want to turn just a regular conversational yeah. forum into a place. Definitely, for a good, that's a good rule. Okay, but uh, but there was a there was a rule. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. That and I knew people that got penalized for, for even mentioning a price. Sometimes you, you were not even allowed to mention the price. Yes, there, there, that was an issue. I think, you know, when you were talking about not a, a, a list price, but like what the street price was, you know. So oh, is that what it was? Yeah, cool. so let's just say that, you know, they said a watch. pretty impressive. You know, like yeah. imagine today saying to someone you can't mention that thing that you could Google in like a nanosecond. You know what I mean? Well, you know, part of this though, and, and you know, you have to remember it's a business. Uh, so they did sell ads, and they had sponsors for the forums, and so the brands want to protect that price integrity. That we all but, know. But that the currency, yeah, the currency is the user. Look, this. I'm just telling you, very the weakness of forums is what allowed a blog to watch to thrive. It was the fact that I didn't impose any of that nonsense, and I made it much more democratized. I, I, I'm not saying forums didn't have other issues, but the blog, in a lot of senses. Um, made what the forum was kind of obsolete. Well, the, that and also social media. You know, I always talk about how... Which came a little bit later. Which came a little bit later was that, you know, we had this sort of golden age, this, this initial Wild West, when this confluence of events took place where we had high-speed internet and Wi-Fi, uh, digital cameras. It was much easier to upload photos. It was much easier to share information. The, the software that ran the forums matured to a point that it was very easy. I used to dial up on time zone back in like 1996. So uh, with AOL, and if somebody posted a photo, which meant they had access to a scanner and then uploaded that, it would actually be prefaced with modem burner. 
So, so if I wanted to, to open that thread to be a part of this conversation, I knew I had time to go and make a sandwich. Okay, can I give you a funny yeah. story? Someone told me this, and they were they were talking about forums in the nineties, mm-hmm. and they said there's 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 two types of pictures that I'll wait to load uh, on the computer, and that's watch <laughs> pictures and porn. Yeah, well, and, that, and that was it. And so 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 you you get to around two thousand four ish, I think, and that's when when we we actually got to a point where, you know, everything was mature enough to be used, you know, the way that we're using things now. And so there was this explosion of uh, information. People were logging on and learning more. And, you know, when I started in this and really got heavy into this hobby, if I wanted to learn, like I had to go to the like international magazine store, you know, and find the yeah. trade publications, the things that the magazines that weren't available at a typical newsstand and actually read it. Or I had to just haunt the local watch dealers. And hope that as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, that they weren't going to kick me out. Um, yeah, and that's and that's why people put up with the forums. That it was it was the premier place to get information. Yeah. And so now you could do all that. You didn't have to do all the legwork. So it was easy. It was awesome. It was fun. But eventually, I think it just kind of ate itself. Uh, a lot of the over-moderation, I think, was upsetting to some people. I tried to pull that back in you know, when I had a chance to. Man, the um, politics. The politics. You remember all that nonsense? Well, and that was my first taste of this. But yeah, it's, okay, so here's what's interesting, mm-hmm. and I, I'm just sort of trying to think about the personality traits that we bring to the table. You and I, among other things, are like professional community moderators. Like this is a skill, and this is something that is is necessary. I have yet to meet a single person at a watch brand who has ever had our ability to be a professional community moderator. And I, I, the brands can't seem to wrap their mind around the, the fact that they need this. Like, explain why this is necessary. Well, this is a hobby first and foremost. I know that and we can get into the discussion about how that is changing uh, and not for the better and for, for various reasons. But because it's a hobby and because we're talking about things that have very personal uh, meaning to a lot of people, their stories, I think you need that human component so that you can connect with the brand, you can connect with the watch easier. I know for a fact that you know if I have somebody within a brand that I respect, and whether it's it's the person whose name is on the dial, or it's a watchmaker, or a certain executive within that brand, it makes it much easier for me to justify parting with hard-earned money. Now, I have two children, you know, a wife. I live in Manhattan. I have expenses and mortgage, and you know. So, if I'm going to spend money on something that, let's be honest, I don't need, I really want to feel like I have a connection, and. And so it's got to bring you joy. Cool. That's really the answer. It's when got you to look at your wrist, joy. you have to smile. And you smile because you think of a memory. And so if you attach a positive mm-hmm. memory to a watch, you can either buy that memory or you can earn that memory. You can just buy mm-hmm. a new watch. doesn't matter what watch it is. Do something fun with it. And the next time you look at that watch, you'll think of that fun thing you did. True. No, definitely. You can look. You can. You don't necessarily need to have that. But I think for me, it's, it's important when I think of somebody within a brand and I look at this watch and I can connect them. It doesn't hurt. Okay, so let, let's go back to meeting in person and groups and things like that. And one of the things which I think is interesting as a phenomenon of being a watch hobbyist mm-hmm. is there's also those people that go to the, the groups that are, they're like posers. And what is what I mean by it? There's different kinds of posers, but there's a poser that wants to appear as if they are an authentic enthusiast. They're not really an enthusiast. In their mind, like, it's cool to be a watch nerd or something like that. It's so, like someone would wish for their husband to be into this. And they pretend to be into watches. Like, they'll just buy the popular thing, and they'll be like, hey, guys, I heard you were talking about this. Check out what's on my wrist. That's basically their entire MO. Like, who are these people? What is their actual motivation? I want to be honest with you. We don't have a lot of experience that with that at Red Bar because I think if you really want to take the time to hang out, to find us, uh, to routine, you know, regularly go to, to meetups. If you're not in it for the right reasons, you kind of self-select yourself out. Um, well, your yeah. organization, I understand, but we've been to events that have had these guys well, there. Social, this is where we get into the social media. We get into the influencers. Oh, that's where there's that a lot stuff. of it. You're right. And that's where, of- well, that's where it is because you want to flex. And, and there's a point where flexing online, okay, but if I can flex in person, and I actually understand that. I'm not saying that that's 
Something what do you get by flexing to watch guys? Like the question is like we we'd rather be we're we're happy to be buddies, but the second you flex to a watch guy, it becomes like a hostile thing. Like we're supposed to treat each other equally and with respect. It's the, the, nobody gains anything by having like a a social hierarchy within the group of collectors. Yeah. Nobody gains from that. Look, part of why Red Bar exists and why I did actually uh, put more effort into it when I saw it, it was becoming was. We used to have a group here in the city called uh, the Watch Enthusiasts of New York. Uh, they were uh, affectionately dubbed the Weenies. They actually didn't like being called Weenies, but you know they should have thought about that. Oh, I remember that. They, I remember yeah, that. Before they, yeah, before they came up with that acronym. But to be a part of this group, you had to be invited in, and then you had to be a collector of a certain stature. And I think there were levels in terms was of – Was there a hazing, Adam? If there was, I'm sure it was uh, completely benign and pathetic. Okay. Uh, now, for me, I, I know who started it. I know people who are members of it. Um, I was very much a part of the community. Then all of a sudden, I'm you know, moderating these forums and stuff. And I still was never good enough to be invited to be a part of this group. And so with Red Bar, I think unconsciously, because I really wasn't thinking about them when the whole thing kicked off, but... When I did start thinking about it, I go, you know what? This is going to be different. Were you an anti-weenie? I, I just was nothing to, to them. But I think Red Bar, no, Red Bar was the anti-weenie. Well, I you were like, yeah, I think Red Bar became the antithesis of that in the sense that. So if again, you all, if you want to invite me, I'm going to make a cooler club that you can't be part of. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm going to say like this was not a, a conscious thing on my part, but I think there was a point trying where to I realized it and said, wait a second, okay, fine, <laughs> our rules are this. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was it. Kind of, that was kind of it. It was just don't be an asshole and have fun. So we don't care what watches you on. Everybody has to start somewhere. <laughs> but isn't it amazing that that's the first rule? Like most most clubs add rules later on as needed. You you, yeah. you realize things. But when you start by saying don't be an asshole, that means the last time you tried this, the thing that screwed everything up was too much, too many assholes, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> I just thought, you know, it's very easy to think that within this hobby uh, that there are going to be a lot of egos because there's a lot of money, you know, that's at stake here. And people are invested in what they buy. And and it's definitely a human thing to want other people to kind of respect this completely idiotic decision you made to drop money on this anachronistic item that you don't need. I, I realize that there's an interesting problem when watch collectors get together. And I'm going to sort of propose to you, and I want your feedback, a solution to this problem. Fair enough. Okay. Here's the problem, and I know this sounds maybe kind of radical, but just go with me in this. When you're, when you're hanging out with other watch lovers and you ask another watch lover their opinion on your watch, mm. you shouldn't do that. There's no good outcome that comes from that. People should avoid asking another watch lover. It's like it's like basically saying, like, hey, what do you think about my girl? There's no good outcome that can come from that. Yeah, I honestly, I, I don't think I've ever asked anyone that question. I don't think but I've it been happens asked. all the time. I'm sure it does, uh, but yeah. I, what I see mostly are people soliciting uh, advice when they're thinking of buying a watch. Like, what do you think of this watch, you know, before they buy it? And I understand that too, but I feel like we need to come to those decisions ourselves. And then you buy it. I, I'm firmly of the belief. My mantra has always been buy what you like, wear what you buy. Uh, and that's it. You know, I I'm judged on enough things on a daily basis for a stupid reason. So this hobby, this what I do here, uh, to me, that's a judgment-free zone. You know, there's no there's no accounting for taste, except for Invicta. If you own an Invicta, I mean, come on, so let's let's you know you you can do better. But we have to have, we have to have some standards, right? Yeah, you got to you know my standards are extremely low. But that's where. <laughs> but, there, but you have to have. It's, it's sort it's of there. Saying, like, yeah, there has to be. A, you can't a, just yeah. wear any watch. You have to put some effort into it. it has you have to, to try a little bit. I, I guess you know the, the argument I always hear. It's a gateway, like a gateway drug. And then it, okay, it but if that's true, but why do so many people end up at Invicta and never go yeah. past Invicta? Some people go past, but I know. so many don't. But you know, but I have to look at the things like fashion is a is a closed book to me. Uh, I, I just I don't. And not that I don't understand it, I, I do, but I don't know the brands, I don't know the cool stuff, and I just honestly don't care. Watches are it for me. So I know that there are probably some 
Well, this is what's great about Maybe a watch. It's my shoes or my pants that are the wrong thing for somebody who's into that. If you have a fancy watch and you could you could be horrendously dressed, the fancy watch will save you. That's true, I guess. I it guess, is. But here's the thing, but only if somebody recognizes it. And let's be honest, uh, outside of our group, nobody's going to recognize that you're wearing a, a Patek Philippe uh, perpetual okay. chronograph. But you've seen pictures of people wearing dirty, torn jeans. Mm-hmm. Just like shabby shirt, you know, disheveled. But they could be wearing like a, a like a, a Rolex President or or even something crazy with diamonds or something like that. It makes them look like a million bucks. There's something about wearing a fancy watch. You know, it's a form of jewelry, of course. They can like completely save an otherwise just terrible <laughs> outfit. Honestly, I would say my watch would probably save every outfit I wear, but only if you recognize the watch. I only have a handful of watches. That the the layperson might possibly recognize. Okay, well that means that means you're not that means you're trying to show off. We're not show off, but you're trying to communicate to a, a specific group of people. You're basically saying like, I do this for friends, and friends know watches. I guess you know, but like I said, I, I buy what I like. I, I, I we talked about this before. I play the game to lose. You know, most of my watches are worth far less now than what I paid for them. And that's the way it should be. I think that it should actually be a, a statement of pride. Do you have any idea how much money I've spent on watches that I, I never expect to get back? Because that means you're a real hobbyist. Now, I would lose this much money. Um, but it's okay. Everything else, no one's like, I bought all these clothing, just to go back to your thing about fashion. Yeah. Look how much I can sell all my old <laughs> pants for. No one's excited about that. My, my daughter just noticed that the holes in the crotch area of my pants uh, today. So I have to buy oh. new pants. Okay, we'll get you some new pants. Yeah, you can trade yeah. some watches for it. Maybe I, I can sell. I can sell. I can sell my jumbo now. I think you should try to do that. I, I can buy like, a car now with the jumbo. I mean, who? That's a whole other. Again, a whole other conversation. You know. Yeah. Well. Okay. I don't want to get into. We're not going to get I'm, into that. But we have a lot of not nice things to say. But yeah. I think what's important, at least to touch on that, is that some events right now. Well, there's no events right now. There's but none. There were events that were turning into basically like, let's get together and, and speculate. Let's be investors and speculate. What's going to be the next watch that people are going to want? And actually, the question they're asking is, what's going to be the next watch we can inflate the price on that watch collectors might want to buy? And so there's been this invasion of the, I call it the investor mentality into the hobbyist mentality. It's been a bit of an unwelcome force, Right. Oh, for me, wholly unwelcome. Uh, it's everything that's wrong uh, with the direction that the hobby's going. I'm going to really try to make a point of using the term hobby now. Good. Because to, to commoditize uh, watches and to turn them into this asset class has really boxed out a lot of collectors, a lot of people that were uh, in it for the right reasons, as I want to say it. And look, is there a right or wrong reason to do anything? I don't want to be the arbiter here or the judge here but i know that for me and what well, there are there are moral reasons and immoral reasons and if you do something which exploits or vic- or victimizes someone else it's an immoral reason in my opinion all right you know I, i'm gonna i'm gonna use that but i just i just love watches so i and it it doesn't make me happy to think that i own a watch that somebody else can't have because of the pricing i'll use one example i'll use uh my 45th anniversary silver snoopy omega now, I think the list price on that watch was seventy three fifty US. And that's what I paid for it. I think, you know, with tax. And that's not cheap day. for that for that, you know, that's and not cheap. It was not cheap. You're you're getting a speedmaster, no bracelet. Uh, not a whole lot of extras came with it. Um, but not even was, a bracelet. And it was about about eight thousand dollars all in. But to me it was worth it. I loved the watch, and some friends of mine got it too, and 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 it was just it, it just resonated. And I wear it's, it, I love it, a, it, I enjoy it. It's a fun it. watch because it's, it's a cool a watch, watch that has a happy character on it. And I always loved the Snoopy connection. I always understood that. I, I knew what, what Snoopy meant to the space program. And so the whole watch to me just was just a great watch. I love it. I wear mine. It's, it's, it's actually pretty scratched up now. And uh, But then all of a sudden, the price just started going up and up and up and up. And now it's it's hovering $30,000, $40,000 for this watch, I saw one sell actually sold for forty-seven thousand dollars, and that doesn't actually make me happy. Well, let, let's 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 try to answer why that happens. Who who benefits from that, and why does that happen? Who's buying that? Because the thing is, those watches should all be sold at that seventy-five hundred dollar price point to guys like Adam that that want to wear it. Yet that's not exactly what's happening, is it? 
Well, here's the thing, you know, maybe as I'm talking about and thinking about it, this was a limited edition watch. Um, It did seem to sort of hit this perfect storm of desirability within the community. I think the pricing now is more indicative of some other issues going on. But I don't know. I just I just I would love I would love for somebody wanted this watch and somebody was going to sell it. Now, look, I could sell mine and I could just be like, look, fuck it. I'm going to sell mine for eight thousand dollars and I'll be that guy. I think there are people out there who bought the watch for the right reasons, wore it, loved it. And then maybe, uh, okay, there's something else I want to buy or, you know, my kids in college. I don't know. For whatever reason, I'm going to sell it. But now here's the thing. You're being told now you can get $40,000 for this watch. Are you not going to sell it for $40,000? And so it perpetuates that. I'll be honest with you. If I had to sell this watch right now, let's just say there's some emergency and this is about putting food on the table, keeping the lights on, feeding my family. I mean, I'd be a fool not to sell it for that, right? Okay, but let's, let's also examine this. Omega watches, even limited edition ones, have historically had a lot of flipping, meaning someone yeah. buys it, enjoys it for a while, and just you know sells it to someone else. Okay, watch it. The, those prices precipitously went down, as you'd expect in the pre-owned market. Not too much has actually changed about Omega watch availability from a few years ago till now, but something else, some new element, is in the space, and now a lot of the watches are are being sold at at above retail. Again, there's a new force in there, and the question is, who's benefiting? How is this happening? And who's ultimately paying this price? And my argument is that it's the same watch collectors that are being gouged, um, you know, to spend more, and that dilutes the appeal of the hobby. Yeah, I would say a better example of this, at least from the Omega standpoint, would be the 50th anniversary that's out now. Now, this is not a limited edition. And those are selling for like twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars. And you know you can wait and get this watch. You do not have to pay this price. But so who bought the watches and is then flipping them? And that's well, we've seen this. You know, this was happening before this it was happening with uh sneakers, you know, and the hype hype beast phenomenon. And it just it kind of jumped over. And now the same people who speculate on that are speculating on watches. And then you've got companies like StockX, you know, that, that kind of feed that beast, so to speak. Um, and here we are. So I think that the moral of the story is that you and I began all this as being community leaders, and that's still what we're good at. Well, and, we and that's what we love about Because we actually just love this shit, you know? Right. I don't think we were looking just... to make a buck. So, well, I mean, you know, obviously you don't want to not do that, but... I remember when you were a blog to read. Yeah, that's and I, and the I first was, year. And I was reading the forum and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I, I dig what this guy's saying. I don't know who he Thank is. You. He seems cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, one I, day I, guess, I woke up and it was a blog to watch. I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, oh, that actually makes more sense. Right, right. That's like, yeah, I see what he's doing there. All right, I can get with that. But, but I knew that the voice I was hearing was somebody who really loved this shit. Yeah, there wasn't, yeah, and- wasn't a cynical part of that. So that appeals still appeals to me. There is a whole industry that tries to fake that love, that tries to replicate that passion. And I guess my advice to anyone out there buying and watches, if you feel that something is being hyped by someone who doesn't genuinely appreciate it for quote unquote the right reasons, whatever that means, um, you're probably being deceived and you should, you know, think twice before acting. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind being deceived, you know, as long as uh no, I guess I do mind. You want to be romanced a little bit first, right? I mean, take me to dinner. I don't know. Yeah. Something. You know? Return the ask me to return a favor. Do a favor yeah. for me first. A couple of drinks. I don't know. You know? <laughs> Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blog to Watch Store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the Blog to Watch Store. Right now, the Blog to Watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog to Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Blog to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now, and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. 
Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. Okay, so there is a watch event uh, coming up, I guess, in a few days. It's it's probably going to be the biggest <laughs> virtual event uh, after we've all spent far too much time on virtual. And these vir- presentations have been awful. You and I thrive on creating comfortable experiences where we talk about watches I mean, I never thought that Basel World meetings could be made more uncomfortable, and then they did it by making them on Zoom. I'll tell you, you know, I'm, if I never do <laughs> another Zoom again, it will be, in my entire life, it will be too soon. And, you know, and half of it is just awkward and, and almost cringeworthy. But then the other half is just bittersweet because I'm seeing friends I'm seeing people I've known for a long time who I can genuinely honestly say that I care about and and miss. And I just know that this screen is about as close as I'm going to get to them. And, and we don't really know when that's going to end. And so with what's coming up, now watches and wonders, that's the elephant that's about to come stomping through all of our living rooms next week. This is actually kind of Basel World and SIHH mushed together. And and for me, what makes this upsetting and talking to you and right now and, and what we're going to do is that we would all be together right now. Like we would be packing and getting ready to head out to Switzerland and, and spend a week dealing with all the shit. It sounds glamorous just for the people who are listening. It's a lot of work. It's exhausting. But it's, it's like our weird version of camping. Like you can't describe it yeah. in a way that doesn't make it sound uncomfortable. Yeah, but- I think you appreciate it more when you come back. And you can talk about it because when you're in the middle of it, you don't really have time to stop and appreciate it. But, but that's when we all get together in one place. It's a crazy, it's a crazy spectacle that yeah. from, from, from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep is occupying our senses. It's, it's, it's one of the most incredible distractions for a male adult that I think is, you know, is, is possible. There's just so much to do and see constantly that it's, um, it is, it is kind of a mental vacation. You literally can't even think that there's not a, a world out there. It's like you're getting on like the, the horological cruise and it's just, it's watches, watches, watches till you get off. There's something kind yeah. of amazing about it as a hobbyist because it's 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 what you love 24-7. And, you know, I guess if you're lucky to live in parts of the world with watch stores and watch ads everywhere, you can feel like you're part of it. But most places in the world, yeah. luxury watches have nothing to do with pop culture. You don't see it anywhere. It's like this hidden little thing. All of a sudden, you're you're... It's like this validation of the thing that you care about so much. Yeah, it's not exactly reality, um, but it, it does make us feel important for a little bit. But I would also liken it almost to, you know, your dad catches you smoking. And so then he locks you in a closet with a carton of cigarettes and says, you know, you got to finish them all and uh, before you come out. And that, that's going to teach you to quit smoking. Um, I, I have photos. I, I, I took selfies of me, at, you know, sitting on my, my hotel room bed at, at three o'clock in the morning you know, writing, and then I have to get up and be at the Powell Expo at 9 a.m. I know? like the times where I've seen you on the bus, and you. Oh. And this is a, like one of the one of the many you know hungover mornings, and I can tell like you're just it's everything you're doing to keep your eyes open and just to sort of focus on the meetings. And I'm just like Adam, you hang in there. You have a good day, man. Like I try to give you the space. Like well, I get it. Yeah. You're struggling to focus. I mean, you know, and, and then they they, they they give you booze at least at SIHH. But, um, but, you know, I, I, I can honestly say that I do miss it. Um, and so we're going to be going into it this week. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming down the pike. Um, but, you know, the, the timing, too. Like, I, I'm doing particip- – not participating, but, you know, registering for Zooms like 6 a.m. in the morning, you know, because it's Geneva time. They're six hours ahead of us. So, and for you, it's like – I'm just – I'm doing some private presentations, and also they're all going to be – you know, recorded so you can watch yeah. them again. Um, for me, this is like those college classes. Like you, you can either read the textbook or go to class. You don't actually have to do both. And yeah. so if you read the like the PDF, you can get in about, I don't know, six minutes, what it would have taken about 47 minutes otherwise. There's a lot of filler, <laughs> definitely. There's a lot of, like I, you know, I was no, I don't know, maybe they didn't like me for this, but these trade shows, I would almost never go to a group presentation. Like once in a while I would. And I told the brands, I'm like, Love to meet with you. I'm not. I'm not hanging out in the back like I'm a school kid, and I'm gonna like pass around the watch afterwards, and and that's gonna be my opportunity. Like that's you know that's a big no no. And then they understood that. They're like okay, uh, but you know now that's all we got. And then you know how how 
how many fewer times do you want to see somebody like swing a watch in front of a webcam? So that's like that little dangling timepiece is a good ex- example of what it's going to be like. Like oh, that's not terrible. a good way of showing off a watch. We have to see these things. Yeah, it, well, and that that's a big part of it. This is a tactile hobby. I think people have asked for a while, and this, these were questions that were being asked before COVID uh, hit us all. But you know, what is the value of these trade shows? You know, you can just send me a price list. You can send me the the PR spiel and the photos and stuff. And so do I really need to be there as a retailer or as media? And I would say, no, you still need to handle it. Now, obviously they can send us the watches. I'm embarrassed to say I have like, I think I'm looking over the corner there. I think I've got like five watches that I have to send back. Um, You know, that I'm, I'm very lazy about that. I know the PR people hate me. So they can send you the watches to play with and feel and what have you. But they're not going to send me a hundred fucking watches. Pardon the French there. You know, I have to, uh, but when you're there, when you're at the trade show, whether it was Basel World, whether it was SIHH or this new Watches and Wonders, you got to handle everything. I took it for granted. Like, you remember... Um, and that makes me- a difference. It really does. Remember that show where we kid DuckTales? Like of course Serge I McDuck- Okay, remember that in the opening sequence, he would dive into his, like, his bank vault full of yeah, coins. Takes, yeah, everybody knows that. I, I felt like Basel World was basically that. We got to just dive into a pool of watches, mm-hmm. n- didn't even care about them, just swing into the side, watches, watches everywhere. Now it's like, oh, I, somebody sent me a new one. And then every couple of weeks, there's another new one. Thank God there's still, you know, like we need, we, we, we need that. We, we, we thrived it, on that we ability. For, to. We took it for granted. Yeah, it was like, it was like a high that like we we, we got to get it back. Let's like throw throw expensive watches at me, and you never thought about it. But like sometimes you're like, I just spent like you know, uh, I just like you know, my hands touched about two million dollars worth of product in the last five minutes. You know? Yeah. No, it was intoxicating on some level, and uh, you know, and for me, it doesn't even have to be. I'm a huge, huge G-Shock fan. You know, I started with Casio before G-Shock even existed. My first watch in 1979 was a Casio. And so, you you know, G-Shock sent me watches to look at that I have to send back. One of them is a $99 watch. That is the list price, $99. I was excited to get that. Yeah. And Here's there's no other brand than Casio. I'm just like, hey, this is a new watch that I can handle and feel. Which one much. is it? It's the, uh, it's the mini Casio. The mini Casio? What does that mean? Well, Casio. You know, they have the, the Casio. Oh, the Casio. You yeah. mean the, 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 like the ladies one? It's the ladies' one, the uh, the S line. Okay. In many ways, uh, it's actually a better Casio because it is more in line with the size of the jumbo. It's the same module, and the size was you know G shocks are big already. Even on my wrist, it looks fine. So the black version of that, to me, is the be- is a better Casio than the 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 one that everybody's losing their shit over. Oh, so the clear, the transparent one. Well, there's the transparent one, but I mean, the the GA2100, that is the Casio, the men's version. This is the GMA S2100. I'm saying that regardless of the colorway, the GMA S2100. You have yours in powder pink? I do. Mm. That's what they sent me. I use my daughter uh, as the wrist model since I figured my hairy ass wrist probably. No, you you clearly like the watch more. (laughs) Make a statement. Men can wear powder pink too. But I love I love the proportions of that watch. That might not be the colorway I would get, but I was just, I'm just excited. I don't care if that's the watch I have or somebody sends me a, a twenty thousand dollar whatever. I have a very nice IWC that I have to send back, and that will be announced um, next week. So obviously I can't post pictures or anything of that. I'm as excited. To which, have that which watch. I, they sent me the Chronograph Forty One, which I was impressed with actually. Okay, so that's what I have. I, I, I guess by the time this is airing, we can talk yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, no, we can talk about it. Yeah. So we, 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 the blue? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And, and it's so, but, yeah. Okay, but answer me this. Answer me this. The, 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 the petite uh, Big Pilots watch mm-hmm. costs about two grand more with a, more, with a simpler movement. I, help me understand this. Well, I think they're just sort of capitalizing on the allure of the Big Pilot. The allure? Yeah. Well, it's the big pod. It's it's a it's really their flagship in many. But it's ways. like the littlest giant. It's forty three millimeters, and the previous one was forty six to forty eight. Yeah, but so I'm just saying. But between, well, I think okay. they're using the name. But what movement is that? The just the, the simple the three hand in house movement they've been using already. It's at sixty power reserve, sixty hour power reserve mm. one to four hertz one, just the time, no date. 
that watch is like eighty five hundred bucks, something like that. Mm. Um, it's like over, it's almost over nine thousand on the bracelet, and the Chronograph forty one is seventy two hundred on the bracelet, also with in house automatic chronograph. So the chronograph should cost more because the movements were complicated. The only other, the only difference, the other one is the other one is two millimeters bigger, but with a more simple dial. So I don't understand the two thousand dollar difference. You know, you're going to have to ask someone smarter than me. See, this is why Ariel Adams gets into trouble because I ask pertinent yeah, questions. People like, questions. stop I'm pulling not, the curtains to the side, Ariel. Stop pulling away I, the, the veil. Yeah, I'm not going to ask that. I'm going to leave that to you. I'm going to let you take the uh, take the heat. Uh, but I will say that I, I, they're both nice watches. They're both really nice. Well, so I don't have obviously in hand uh, the the mini pilot, we'll call it. But I will say that this particular watch, the Chrono that you have and I have right now, it's a great watch. I think the price is right for what you're getting. And yeah, it's I love great. how you can just swap everything out instantly. You know, it's got the quick release or the bracelet, straps, but it's still a spring bar, so you can still put your own strap. They on. have the spring bar. So it's a quick release, but if yeah. you want to use your own like exactly. It's not proprietary, but I, it is. But it I is. hate when they do that stuff. Yeah. When they like they I mean, how often does a brand even make those straps available? It's like you can only use those straps. In here. Yeah, they yeah where do I even get those straps? I actually, have, I have to give uh, you yeah, know credit where credit's due. So. so thank you, IWC. You yes. you you passed the test. <laughs> um, now this is something which I think is interesting because we are we're talking about these new watches. This type of conversation is that engaging kind of thing that in the events gets pulled in. And I think I sort of talk about something that we do that brands can't do. Why is it that you think they're fundamentally unable to have these high energy conversations about product? It's like. They, for some reason, it's really hard for them to do that. Why is that? I think because they want to script everything so tightly. And part of that maybe is the Swiss mentality. Um, you know, they don't really share well. They don't play nice with others. They want to sort of keep, you know, <laughs> in their own lane, if you will. Um, and so I, I think it's hard to lose control of the conversation. And so okay. they know what they want to say. They know how they want to present their products. I think there's there's an honest level to that in the sense that okay these are our babies you know we put a lot of time and effort into this you know we care deeply about them as well so we want them to be spoken of in the right way and then the rest of it is just you know PR corporate nonsense you know it's a business so they want to control that message I had a I had an experience I don't even remember who it was I just remember it was the CEO talking to some some collectors and at the time I didn't think much of it but looking back and it was probably the most elegant thank you that a CEO had sort of told the community. And it really boiled down to this. We are, we are humble people living in Switzerland, perpetuating arts an art and craft that, you know, is watchmaking to us. That is, you know, it's not unique here, but we, we'd like to think we do it better than anyone else. We've maintained it because it's our history. It's our heritage. It's our values. We are so fortunate that there's a world out there of people that want to buy it. We don't even understand most of you or why you like it, but we're really happy that we have partners that can get it to you. Thank you so much for allowing us to keep doing what you're doing. We're going to basically keep trying to make you happy. And in that statement was this ad, you know, admission that I don't have any idea why people want this stuff. We know it's expensive and it's weird and crazy. We're just so happy there's a market out there. Thank you for allowing us to have an ability to perpetuate our culture. And I thought that that was sort of the most exposing and honest thing I've ever heard a CEO. Of course, he's, he's out of the industry now, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> of course. But, you know, it's like looking back and don't you feel there's an honor in that you just don't hear very often? Yeah, I, I, I would love to have heard that in person or to receive that. But look, I always say, you know, that nobody needs a watch. And, and that's a ridiculous statement for someone to make who ostensibly uh, makes his living off of this. We uh, get a twing. When someone says that, there's like this nervous twitch where like, I have to yeah. correct that sentiment. <laughs> it's like, you know, they go, you know, but hear me out. Nobody, nobody needs a watch. We're surrounded by time. The computer I'm looking at has the time. The cable box over there has the time. My car has the time. If I'm on the subway, there's the time. So why, why am I buying my phone? The 21st century pocket watch. Everybody has that. But yet here we are. Here's a whole industry. Here's a whole community. Uh, there's value in this anachronism. There's something to be said for this, this confluence of, of science and technology and artistry and history. And where do you get that 
and something that fits on your wrist that you can walk around with. And every time you look at it, your wrist, you're reminded of that. I don't, I have an Apple watch. I love my Apple watch. I sometimes double wrist. I hate to be that guy, but I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it right now too. Oh my God. Yeah. Here we go. Ed, did we just become best friends? Did that just happen? I, I, we each have a, look, here's the thing. Yeah. When I leave the house with just the Apple watch, I actually feel like I'm not wearing. I still feel naked. You yeah, know that I feeling? Feel, yeah, I'm still. I still forgot my watch. Yeah. So like I, I. But I have to say, when I like that, that the the pandemic has forced me to make sure I'm active enough. Yeah. It's really hard to think about going back to before having like the activity tracker because I'm not saying I could. I I need to have that, but it's it's a good reminder. It's a good motivator. Like it's like oh my god, I haven't I haven't walked enough today. I better go take cold? a walk gamifies it you want to close those rings but, yeah. but we don't have an emotional connection to it i always joke no one's going to look at you and say hey that's a nice apple watch and then you say why thank you you know it belonged to my grandfather <laughs> so um, then they'd be like oh my god you couldn't you haven't been able yeah, to afford yeah, a new yeah, apple watch it still works the battery's okay <laughs> but, you know we don't we're not going to have we're not you don't have that relationship with it it does tell the time it's actually a very good watch but it's it's not the same thing. And so that that CEO who was sort of saying, thank you, I don't get why you guys get this, but thank God you do, I think it falls into that vein, you know, where we have to be honest with ourselves as to why we do this and why we're we're into this. Why is there not a lot of other honesty in this space? You and I are probably too honest for our own good. Like it's probably hurt Sometimes. our own professional careers, but we're, we're honest guys and people like that about us. You know, it's, we're trustworthy because of that. But in this industry, can, okay, maybe this is my question. Can there be a luxury watch industry without liars? No. You know, and I hate to say, is there any industry without liars? And that's, it comes down to, it's an industry. It's still a business and people are trying to make money and they're trying to make as much money as they can. Nobody's doing this for altruistic reasons. And, and so that's always going to muddy the waters. And I think we have to accept that. I think we're think, doing it for cultural purposes. But, you know, I don't for think the it has nonprofit to be, foundation. Rolex. <laughs> but I, I don't think it needs to be to the extent that it is. You know, greed clouds everything, you know, and, and that's just it. My father always told me, and he was a world-class alcoholic and coke addict, uh, but <laughs> that the, the most addictive drug was money. And, and in many ways, he's right. But and that's just a corporate thing. I don't know that we can, you know, tar the watch industry with that brush more than anyone else. Uh, it's just there's, there's gold in them, there are hills. There's only so many people who are stupid enough, that's us, to, to buy these watches. So the market is limited. And they're, honestly, there are too many brands. And within the brands, there are too many SKUs. So how do you get all these watches on wrists? What about the statement to define watch collecting? It's the intersection of greed and good taste. I'll take it. That's nice, right? That's kind of elegant. I'll definitely take I definitely agree with that. You know, it, it's uh, and if it keeps it going, fine. But really, you know, at the end of the day, think about it. As collectors, and you know, every now and then I have to step back and, and kind of slap myself and say, you know, I don't define the market. Now, I don't mean me personally as Adam Cranietos, but I mean me as a watch co- hobbyist. Again, I'm trying to get away from that collector term. Good, good. So, well, you're, you're helping me with this. But I have more watches than I, I obviously need. And I will continue to buy watches. And that's my vice. You know, that's my drug. But most people aren't. Most people are happy with one or two watches. And, and even then, they you know, I, I know guys with more money than I, I can even dream of having. And they have, you know, beautiful apartments and cars and stuff, but watches are not a thing for them. They wear an Apple watch or a G-Shock. Maybe they have a Rolex. That's fine. They don't need any more. Most people are like that. So the watch companies, they're fighting for those guys. But once you've sold them a watch, you're done. (laughs) You know, they got their watch. They've moved on. So you need to keep coming back to the well for idiots like us. I mean, look, watches have been described as an addiction more than once, not by people that have spent a lot more of their <laughs> money would, on watches than I us. I would describe it as that. And trust me, if I had more money, I would spend more money on it. 
I think that, you know, I think society in general has to have a new conversation with itself about addictions. I think we all have addictions all day. It's about, I think what you need to avoid is an unhealthy addiction. I think the sure. goal is how to maintain a healthy relationship with the addiction. I, on, on the positive end, if the addiction is, is successful for you, it makes you happy. Because when you sort of do things that feed that that chemical reward, it makes you happy. And I think that as an adult, you have to find those healthy addictions and maintain a healthy relationship with your healthy addictions. And watches can be like that. You can have a super healthy relationship with it, or you can let it ruin you. Well, that that's right there is the thing. You know, you, I always tell people, you know, don't put it on credit. You know, oh god, yeah. If you you can't afford a watch. Do not buy it. If if you if you're gonna buy the watch, just make sure you can pay for the whole thing, and then and then you're fine, and you still have enough left over to to do all the the business of life you need to do. And sometimes, though, I think for COVID during COVID, now I I did buy more watches than I thought I would. And let's be honest, I'm not making the money I thought I would be making. My wife certainly wasn't. Uh, You know, we did have to kind of take a look at the finances and like, how are we going to ride this out? Watches make you feel like a big man. But I still want to watch, God damn it. And you know what? There were lower priced watches that kind of hit that. And obviously I'm a G-Shock guy, so I was able to pick up some G-Shocks, but there's so many great micro brands out there. Look, I'll tell you, I I just bought a watch the other day it was a citizen and a digi okay. temp watch. So this is a, a watch. It's sort of a revival of this older digital watch they made. That was the Star analog. Wars one. Fuck yeah! I know. Again, it. I'm sorry the cursing. I know it. <laughs> I curse a lot on these things, and I'm, I was told with Warren Wound that they never had to bleep out a, a podcast as much as they did with. I really don't know what the deal is because I know on Apple. They're Apple very particular. Like, they don't like particular the about it. They don't like the cussing. And so they said that really took them a long time. So I, I try to be better about that. But that watch we're talking about now, it just look, it's 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 a Japanese movement, which means the watch is probably made in China or Thailand. They're still charging 350 bucks, but let's be honest, 350 bucks is not three thousand five hundred. Is that what the citizen was? Yeah. And to me, it was like this was a no-brainer. I love Star Wars. I love old. I collect actually old, uh, like vintage uh, LCD and LED watches. That's a thing for me because it reminds me of my childhood. And so this just combined both of those in one utterly ridiculous, colorful watch. And I can't wait to get it. I'm so excited to get this. It, it honestly it would be the same as if I was expecting, you know, a new IWC. Are you, you know, happy that colors are now becoming more socially acceptable yes. for men to wear? Yes. Now I only wear black. Because it's slimming and it's easier for me to plan my wardrobe. You are New York. It's accepted there. And I'm in New York. I'm not in Miami. Then I'd be wearing white. But the watches are one thing that, you know, you can express yourself. You know, I I missed, like, there was that period in, like, the late 90s where you had Elaine Silberstein. You had Icapod, you know, and and these these weird brands, Ventura, although they were very monochromatic. but, But they were experimenting and doing sort of fun stuff. And I love that. I missed that. I'm sorry I missed out on the Louis Arad uh, Silberstein um, collaboration. Yeah, I got one of those. Those are cool. Oh, such a nice watch. Really cool. Know? I mean, look, here's the thing. I've always been a fan of those. When I first started trying to push, like, I remember just white watches. I mean, people, I would I would write about when people were like, that's, you know, they would use some expletive about, you know, Ugh. not being particularly masculine. I was like, a guys, just you wait, just what? you wait. And then a all white, of a sudden. Wait a second. A white watch. Was pushed yeah, they the thought white yeah. watches would was an, uh, an effeminate thing, and I was. I'm and now, a white dial watch right now. I not white dial, but like, like like imagine like an all white G Shock or something like that. They would consider oh. that feminine. All you right, know what well. I mean? Or a men's Chanel J12, even if it's 42 millimeters. Like, oh, that's feminine. I I completely disagreed most of the time. Well, but the J12 bottom line, classic. Yeah. Now we've come full circle, and I'm so happy about this. Probably it's probably one of the most controversial things I, I've said, but we've. I think the the rainbow has been re-democratized. Yeah. And I really I look, I'm I think it's fantastic for for you know uh you know identity movements to have colors and symbols that represent them. But I felt as someone who's not gay, I can't wear the rainbow because the association was, you know, if you're wearing a rainbow thing, it probably communicates that you're gay, which is fine if you're gay, but if you're not, you can't you can't wear rainbows anymore. So now the rainbow has been sort of, you know. Redemocratized. Everyone can use it now, and that's great because I think rainbows are cool. Rainbows are cool. Now, now remind you know. Remember, you know, you could wear a rainbow and be an ally, and that's fine too. But the implication was the that implication, that's, yes, it, it had to do with 
with an ex- like an acceptance or promotion. Yeah. I'm, I support the LGBT, which is fine. I do support it. But sometimes right. they're just like, it's not what I'm trying. It's sometimes not what I'm trying to say. Just having, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, like, rainbow is just a rainbow. the Apple Watch has that has that rainbow strap. I think that's a cool strap. But you know, if I wore that, the message is, that I is wear, that is the I gay pride strap. strap. I wear that strap. Okay, all right. I but you're right. You know, it, it, yeah. Maybe some people have looked at my wrist and then looked at me and be like, ugh. You know, maybe Look, he's gay. I, I've, I'm gonna want him. I've spent <laughs> most of my adult life living in areas like I lived in San Francisco and then West Hollywood. Now I moved to a house, but like I, that's living in those areas in San Francisco. Yeah, you came to the first San Francisco Red Bar uh, meetup. Where was that at? It was this hotel uh, near Union Square. It just feels like so many lifetimes and ago, you brought, Adam. you brought your wife. I think you had just started dating. Maybe huh. you just started dating, but you two showed up, and it was uh, – I think maybe that was the first time I met you, actually. Wow. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Crazy. Anyway, I didn't mean to <laughs> – no, I'm just I just realizing like, that feels like yeah. lifetimes ago. It it's really, not that no. long ago. It does years feel like a lifetime ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Now, okay, so I think, and we'll just sort of wrap up the 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 sort of discussion. We'll have we'll have to have more of these. We obviously have a lot to yes. talk about with the pandemic. We're going to look ahead a little. The pandemic's going to end, whatever that means and when. And events are going to come back. Yes. And we know that for a fact because we want it. The brands want it. The retailer wants it. Every force in the watch industry yes. desperately wants events to start happening again. What's going to be different? How are we going to make events better moving forward in the past? Honestly, I have no idea. Now, I, I am not a, a big planner. I wing it. I just jump in and, you know, come what may. Let, let's see how we can do this. Usually it works. Sometimes it doesn't. All I can say is that with the pent-up demand that is coming from all quarters, and I've had uh, a lot of conversations with a lot of different brands recently about how we're going to do this, when we're going to do this. And right now, more than how we're going to do it is is really the question of when. I think that a lot of the brands have looked at 2021 and kind of read the tea leaves and sort of figure, we're not there yet. You know, there's still too many variables. So 2022 is going to be the year. Maybe towards the end of this year, uh, we'll see some some movement. But I think 2022 is when we can kind of shake it all off and say, you know what, we're here to party. And what are we going to see differently? I don't know that we're going to see. How are we going to improve? I mean, that's the thing. The, the events they have a lot of value. The idea is how do we make them have more? I think value? there has to be more honesty to the events, and this is something you touched upon before too. I think that uh, in this past year, with a lot of us, a lot of the people who are part of this hobby, part of this community you know, have had a lot of time to think about it, you know, think about what their involvement is and what that means. And I think what they're going to want, though, is more transparency from the brands, more honesty from the brands, and more of a direct connection with the brands. And that will come through. About what exactly? I think about about everything about it, about sort of how they approach watchmaking, how they approach their designs, how they approach engaging with their clients. Now, obviously, they're never going to explain to us why they charge this much for this and that much for that. And I don't expect them to, but I think that there has to be uh, a more direct line of communication. We're not going to see that for certain brands. We know who they are. They, they kind of want to maintain that, that distance because that's how they view luxury. What, what's at stake? Maybe you should explain that. What's at stake about, you're saying it's, you guys need to be more honest. Why don't you frame it differently? What's at stake by continuing to be dishonest about things? Well, I think for them, there's a perception that they lose some of their um, appeal. You know, that whole, like, if you see behind the curtain and you see that these are human beings and people making these products, you know, and not a bunch of, you know, wizened, magical elves uh, sort of thing. I think that they want to maintain that, that distance and that feeling of other. Well, they're, 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 they're deeply insecure. Well, that could be part of it. You know, the psychology of it is not something... I'll be honest, I've spent a lot of time thinking about, but you know, if they are insecure, they shouldn't be. Right. You know? So so how do you how do you comfort them? I don't know. More I, hugs? Yeah. They need a I, lot more hugs. I'm a hugger, so this has already been a very difficult year for me. And if that's what it takes in 2022, if I have to get on a plane and 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 fly, you know, all over Switzerland and, and Germany and, and Japan and further and just start hugging watchmakers and executives, I'll do it. I think what we need to do is find a way of making some type of a, a mini documentary 
where you and I travel somewhere with high importance to watchmaking and we, we just we just try to shake things up a little bit or maybe just go deliver hugs. Because I think I, that like you're talking I, about 2021. I, I agree with you. It's going to take a little while, but it's going to need like a defibrillator. So I think that we need to go around and defibrillate. Maybe we need to. Maybe we need to just, you know, we just knock on the door. It's like, hey, we're, we're just here to hug you. We'll bring go, a speaker. Oh, we'll bring some dance music. And then I'll start shooting watches while you, while you schmooze with them. I'm happy to do that. I think that's what it's going to take. I mean, they, they have they have turtled themselves up like so tightly. Yeah. And maybe it's our job to, to to coax them out of their shells now. Okay. I, I actually want – this is where I want some of the community, community to participate. Because community, look, we love you guys, but there's more to what we do than just people being like, um, Mr. Adams, there's a new watch for you to see. It's a <laughs> lot more complicated than that. We – we actually want you to talk in the comments and things like that about what it is you want to see. You know, it's not for our benefit. We know, we think we know what a good direction is, but so the brands are like, look, it's more than just Adam and I saying it's a good thing. The community no. needs to be saying it as well. And no, so no, I we, think that, you know, we can, these we, days, can we can start yeah. that conversation, but uh, ultimately it lies within the, the community at large. There's strength in numbers. Yeah, um, so be be an activist. If you love watches and you yes. are a hobbyist, now is the time to be a bit of an activist because the ho the hobby is in. I don't want to say it's in danger. The appeal of watches isn't going away, but no. there's a structure around the production, the design, the marketing, the distribution. There is a watch industry that is about as fragile as I've ever seen it, and I don't think you know it, it could be weaker, but it's definitely not going to be weaker out of because of something stronger than the pandemic. The pandemic has put the watch industry in an interesting position. And again, like we've established, the world does not need there to be a thriving luxury watch industry. It could not be thriving and the world would keep going on. You know, rockets would still go into space. Deals would still be made between nations. Um, yeah. You know, it wouldn't be as fun for, for a lot of guys, but the world would still go around. So for the watch industry to thrive, it has to be as a function of the people who want the watches to exist to get the most joy out of it. And that is the consumer. The brands won't save it. The consumers will. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I, all I have so to say about that. Yeah, consumers, uh, I think we're, we're leaving you with, with a pretty heavy task here. Yeah, we are, you know, we are, we are the guides. You know, I've always seen as well like shepherds, you know. I don't want to say like you're sheep, like you'll be, you know, you know, no, no. Basic, but you, 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 you're, you're being at the party is what's important. It's not us. The brands don't want to see us. The brands oh, want to see you. But yeah. We are your guide. Yeah. They've heard us already. <laughs> yeah. And again, we, we represent you. We're also like, we're, 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 we are in the true sense collectors. Like Adam and I, we collect watches. And I think that that's really important. If there's someone who is trying to lead you along, like don't follow a shepherd that doesn't get your, get your motivations in life. Yeah. Unfortunately, I still have to pay for these things. I, I'm waiting for them to just give them to me, though. If only it wasn't a, an addiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, hey, I'm for sale. Give me a watch. But yeah, it hasn't happened yet. So yeah, we, we put our money where our mouth is. And, and I, I still do that. Uh, much of the chagrin of my wife. As a matter of fact, I, I did actually uh, pay for my citizen on a, a different card she doesn't know about. So let's let's make even sure she doesn't card, find even out. Even three hundred and fifty dollars, I still like, <laughs> I'm still hiding that shit because she she doesn't you know she she's a well, ha, the next conversation how to justify your watch purchases to your significant other. Oh yeah, well that's okay. That's impossible. <laughs> Thank you so much, Adam. He's Adam Craniotes of Red Bar. Um, I am Ariel Adams of Blog to Watch, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Superlative Podcast. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at ablogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?